Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today it is time to preview all 13 games in Week 7. We got six, count them, six teams on by. Maybe, just maybe, we'll keep this pod to around 90 minutes, but who the hell knows? As always, I am joined by none other than PFF Senior Analyst Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, this is like our third time talking to each other in the last 36 hours. How are you? Uh, Ian, I love you, man. I love you. That's all I have to say. No, what? This slate, this slate is, uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, we've got like uh, multiple games on here where you've got a 17 and a half favorite, a 15 and a half favorite, a nine and a half favorite. I'm like, man, like this is like, these all look like blowouts on paper. We got a few competitive games. So it's, uh, I started working on my projections earlier and I was like, wow, this is like the toughest week so far. Like there's, there's, there's fewer people. There's a lot of really good players on by, but man, I just started looking. I was like, I have this guy at 37. Like I got to double check this. I could, when I was doing my running back article, I couldn't believe how many times that it was like, well, I guess this guy is going to be an RB2 <laughs> because so many damn teams are on by. So keep that in mind. And yeah, I think more weeks and more times than ever this week, like people will be viable fantasy options depending on the league. So let's get right into it. As always, I'm going to take the away team. Dwayne's going to take the home team. We'll try to get through every fantasy relevant player, but truly just trying to give you more than anything, one really good actionable fantasy nugget ahead of Sunday, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Still have a little bit more time to hash out our full thoughts. So starting things off with Thursday Night Football, Broncos at the Browns. Cleveland opened up as four-and-a-half-point favorites. That is down to three-and-a-half. Game total is at 42, down from 44. So I am really concerned about Miles Garrett and company basically ending this one before it can even get going because the Broncos... Not a fantastic offensive line, but with Teddy holding the ball so long, it really just compounds the issue. Because overall, the 29th in pressure rate, one of the cool things we can do behind the scenes at PFF, though, is see what's that pressure rate when the quarterback gets rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, which is usually the threshold we're using to determine a quick or slow release. They drop down to 19th in that era. The problem is Teddy Bridgewater happens to have the ninth slowest release time in the league uh, through six weeks. So Miles Garrett and the Browns, number one in pressure rate. This is going to be bad, people. You can check out my mismatch manifesto on PFF.com every Thursday. I would be shocked if this is not shaping up to be the single worst uh, offensive line versus defensive line pressure matchup of the week. So with that said, I do think we need to get behind Colton Sutton once again. Not sure if Jerry Judy's going to be back for this one just yet. Seems like, I, I don't know, man. I could make more sense if you give him the extra long week after this one to truly get right. Either way, Cortland Sutton, we know he's going to get his chances. The question is, can Teddy get the ball near him? Because Sutton leads the NFL in air yards. But here's the thing, people. Not all air yards are created equal. And I try to figure out a way how to quantify this and basically describe these quote-unquote prayer yards. Someone on Twitter suggested I call them sheesh yards, which I also love. But basically, looking at incompletions that were deemed to be the quarterback's fault, overthrown, underthrown, thrown to a defender. We have about seven different categories like this on PFF. So the top five guys in these prayer yards this year, Cortland Sutton by far number one, DJ Moore two, Devontae Adams three, MVS four, Robbie Anderson five. If you look at the advanced stats, you will be surprised to see that Aaron Rodgers has been pretty terrible throwing downfield, at least in this six game sample to start the year. So Cortland Sutton, you know, I posted a video on my Twitter before I came here today of 
not one, not two, four opportunities that I thought with a better ball he could have had chunk gains, if not touchdowns. It's unfortunate it went the way it did, but again, with Teddy under center, and if Teddy's not going to be under center, eventually Drew Locke's going to be under center, that's just life in the Denver Broncos offense. So we're feeling good enough about Sutton. You know, I still think he's especially this week going to be an upside wide receiver too. In the backfield, I want to Javante, I want Javante Williams to get freed. You want Javante Williams to get freed. Melvin Gordon is still a perfectly fine real life running back, so we're gonna need to hold off on crowning him just yet. But you know, Dwayne, when we put together these rankings tomorrow night and uh, tomorrow morning, or I guess tonight and tomorrow morning, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gordon and Javante cracking that low end RB two range. So they're fine. They're going up against the Browns D that I think they'll be able to have moderate success running the ball, but there's just only so much any running back can do with 12 to 15 carries and targets per game. That's all they're going to see as long as they're both splitting work pretty much right down the middle. Now, Dwayne, with the Browns, we got injuries all over the place. Beckham hasn't practiced this week with the shoulder. We got Jarvis Landry still uncertain with the knee. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt ruled out. Baker Mayfield apparently is going to keep playing through this completely torn labrum. So out of all this going on, who the hell can we depend on with the Cleveland Browns offense this Thursday night? Yeah, I think the big thing that most folks probably want to know about Ian is Dearness Johnson um, and Demetric Felton. So just looking at Felton, he's only lined up in the backfield, you know, for two snaps. He started off there and gone ghost motion outside, you know, like six times. So I would, I really wouldn't count on much out of Felton. I do think he'll be a move, a movable chess piece. Like they'll move him around, but I think to expect anything like what we were getting out of Kareem Hunt in that role, which is originally kind of where my head went, you know. But as I dug deeper into the data um, and really looked at it, because I started thinking, I was like, man, I you know there hasn't been a lot of Felton on the field with these other two backs so I had to go back and look at preseason some and some other things and I'm just not very confident I do believe that it will be Dearness Johnson handling probably 60 to 70 percent you know of the work so he's going to give you a good spot you know a good spot starts not the greatest matchup ever you know against the Broncos but it is a good offensive line for the Browns you got Odell Beckham Jr. You're gonna have to watch on the injury report you got Jarvis Landry potentially coming back but as you mentioned you've got an injured quarterback who's going to be playing through the injury. It's almost like you wonder if they should just go with Case Keenum, you know, for a bit at this point. So it's hard to get real excited, you know, about those players. But I will say I've got Odell Beckham Jr. right now sitting inside my top 30 just because of all the bye weeks like what we talked about. So he's sitting there right there on the line. And then if Jarvis Landry plays, he's probably going to come in somewhere right around, you know, matchup 40. They both have okay matchups as far as uh, the wide receiver cornerbacks and the strength of schedule, but not great. Um, so it's, it really looks like a game that I want to try to avoid if I can. I know that's tougher, um, you know, to do on a week where you've got all these bye weeks. But just looking at it, I'm like, like this, this matchup, I just don't like it. It feels like a low scoring Thursday night affair. Stefanski did say in his Tuesday press conference, Beckham and Jarvis both have a chance to suit up for this one. One of the more, inju one of the more important injury situations to walk, watch this week. Chiefs at the Titans, Kansas City sitting as four and a half point favorites. Game total week high, 56 and a half, expecting all sorts of points to be scored. And why not? I'm sure you all watched that entertaining shootout between the Titans and the Bills on Monday night. But sticking to the Chiefs side of the ball, Oh, man, Dwayne, we were kind of complaining about this uh, Sunday night, I think it was, with Daryl Williams basically getting the role that we hope that, I don't know, the first-round running back they took, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, might get at some point. So Daryl Williams last week, 72% snaps, 21 carries, and four targets. 
Over the last two weeks, Daryl Williams has nine targets. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has 10 targets this entire season. Clyde has not had more than three targets in a game since week 14 of last year. Like the fact that they drafted him in large part because seemingly of his pass down goodness only to really give Daryl those real opportunities once he's sidelined. It's just infuriating. Dwayne, I think he brought up how similar to in 2019 when Josh Jacobs got hurt at the end of the year, all of a sudden they feed DeAndre Washington the full down workload that we wanted Jacobs to have in the first place so it's frustrating that's why we were a little bit more down on daryl compared to some of these other running backs last week and i do think the game script has something to do with it we shouldn't expect to see daryl eclipsing 20 carries more weeks than not with that said if we can get between three and five targets and 12 to 15 carries and anyone's idea of a top five scoring offense that's going to be great for fantasy business so again not expecting the chiefs to just blow up the titans here it does seem like it'll be a back and forth game if the spread and the game total indicate anything but it's going to be hard to keep him with all these buys, anything, you know, lower than a borderline RB1. So Titans 24th ranked scoring defense. We're really not afraid of them at all. Run game, pass game. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, Tyree Kill is the if you just take wide receivers and tight ends and combine them, Tyreek Hill is the second highest scoring receiver. Travis Kelsey is the 10th highest. I mean, the way Mahomes just contends, condenses everything around them truly is a sight to be seen. Miko, Pringle, Demarcus, Josh Gordon, your pick is probably as good as mine. I would go with Miko. We did see him actually make a nice downfield catch last week. Of course, Robinson ends up being the one that got the touchdown later. Could have even been Pringle. At this point, it just all kind of blends together with these complimentary targets. So if you have to do, you know, a shot in the dark, I do think Miko gives you the best chance among these guys at leading the way in targets, but you're certainly not feeling good about that. Dwayne, we really had people. Not just people. It seems like the whole fantasy community was out on A.J. Brown after three and a half rough quarters to start the year. Thankfully, our king reminded everyone what he's capable of in the second half of that Monday night shootout. Yeah, you don't quit AJ Brown. You just let him quit you. That's how that works. Like you just you just keep going with it, man. Uh, but yeah, showed up with seven receptions on nine targets for ninety-one yards. Uh, was looking, you know, uh, he was looking more AJ Brown esque. Let's say towards the end of the game, you also had Julio Jones leave. Julio actually made a couple of nice plays, so it really, you know, I hate to see him pull up lame again with the hamstring thing. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, and then so we had Nick Westbrook Akini. Um, Getting back out there a little bit. I, th I think I said the name right, Ian. I you went did. ahead and attempted okay. it. Yes, I was watching the broadcast and I heard them pronounce the name and I was like, oh, we know now. We, we can pronounce the whole name. Nick Westbrook-Akini. So you know what you say that? And I've thought about that. I was like, I need when I'm re-watching these games because a lot most of the time I watch the All-22 because the way we have our setup. You know, so the when I used to watch the condensed versions, right, I would hear the names more often. And so I would know these pronunciations and I was thinking, you know, that's a thing that's missing from my process right now is actually hearing the announcers say some of these names unless I catch it on Red Zone or whatever on the weekend. So yeah, I'm glad that you caught it so we can confirm because that was a complete guess. Um, you know, so Dwayne, I thought I'd give it a whirl. This is what we gotta start doing. Like, you, you know how apparently like people can still like learn stuff as they're sleeping when they're playing stuff like throughout their ears. Uh, we just need to like put headphones on when we go to bed, just have like, NFL Game <laughs> Pass name. rolling and like we'll just when we wake up the next day suddenly we'll You'll know how it. to pronounce all these guys. <laughs>
That yeah, you know how it is on Mondays and Tuesdays. I feel like that's probably about the only way I would be able to squeeze it in <laughs> is through that sort of a process. Um, but man, uh, Derrick Henry this week, obviously nobody needs me to say, hey, start Derrick Henry. But I got to point out, running back strength of schedule, the top one of the week, a perfect ten, which is based on PFF grades and metrics. So it's not just something where we're saying, hey, um, you know, the point, the fantasy points given up to a back. This is truly about. You know, the defense they're playing against, you know, how does their defensive line grade, their front seven, all those different things. And so Derrick Henry has the best matchup of the week against the Chiefs. Um, offensive line run blocking advantage um, is a plus 66, which is second best on the slate. So we've got King Henry with the number one RBSOS with the number two offensive line run blocking on the slate. So it's going to be a big week for Henry. We just have to make sure they don't fall behind by too much. But the way the Chiefs have played lately... You know, now the Chiefs could do this any any moment, but the way that they've played is not like they've just been dominating teams. Yes, they did eventually get out by a pretty big lead, you know, against Washington, but Tennessee is a lot better team than Washington, and I would expect them to be able to hang around in this game with their offense, with Henry and A.J. Brown. Final note, just to echo what you're saying about this being the single best matchup of the week for a run game. I mentioned this on another podcast, but cool stat we have PFF behind the scenes. Average depth of tackle, top three defenses, all under 3.5 yards, Saints, Buccaneers, and football team. Bottom three defenses, Chargers and Texans over five, and the Chiefs at number 30, 4.93 yards of average depth on the tackle. You get Derrick Henry, five yards of runway. Dwayne, I think that could be a li- just a little bit problematic. Yeah, can you imagine, like, who wants to really tackle Derrick Henry head on? Like, I would much rather be a sideline to sideline linebacker. Like, I would be a sideline to sideline linebacker no matter what kind of linebacker I was if I was facing Derrick Henry. I'd be like, sorry, coach, you got a good angle on me. Had to take him from the side. Had to, t- had to chase him down seven yards later. God, he oh, just yeah. Puts I, also that. Still, I also still didn't get him down. He just kept going. <laughs> I think it was Hyde last night. Like, there was some early run. I think it was like a 15-yarder where you heard the announcer mid-play just be like, he's got to make a business decision right here. And, um, <laughs> I, hey, boy. I give Hyde credit on that. He stood in there. He did not make the business decision. Oh, he yeah. stayed no. in there. He stayed in there on it. Man, that's got to be a, fear, a frightening moment when that freight train's coming at you. Absolutely terrifying. Washington football team at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay sitting as nine and a half point home favorites. Game total resting at 49. So Heineke, McLaurin, we've seen some flashes from this offense, but at this point, how banged up they are, I just think it's really tough to expect them to get much going in this spot. We got Sam Cosme, their tackle, missed week six with an ankle injury. Brandon Scherf hasn't played since week four due to a knee injury. Obviously, Terry McLaurin threw all of us in the loop last week with the late week hamstring addition. He played through the pain last week. Curtis Samuel, their high-priced free agent addition, has barely even practiced since joining the team with a groin issue. They tried to trot him out there for a few weeks too limited re-aggravated it he be, he's very unlikely to suit up this week cam sims another backup receiver has missed the last two games with a hamstring injury and now we have antonio gibson playing at far less than 100 seemingly worse off by the week with that chin injury and we're even hearing about maybe a calf issue as well so jd mckissick at this point here we are Dwayne, only week seven but jd mckissick is probably the safest play in this offense other than our guy ricky seals jones so you can check out the tuesday edition of this podcast to hear our full tight end waiver wire thoughts but spoiler go get ricky seals jones if he is available as one of the true few true every down tight ends that is actually a good pass catcher uh, available in fantasy land so J.D. McKissick, while this is an odd number week, he typically only goes off on even numbers, we're still looking at a spot as a nine-and-a-half-point dog. 
likely going to be facing extreme negative game script. And with Gibson playing so banged up, man, we could just see the carries move forward a lot too. Like, Dwayne, I do think Jarrett Patterson, if Gibson's out, I think Jarrett Patterson comes in and takes a lot of these carries. Are we underestimating how involved McKissick could be, though? I would. It would not be the weirdest thing we've seen. We just talked about Daryl Williams getting Clyde's role and DeAndre Washington a couple years ago. We have evidence of Ron Rivera talking. Now, he's compared Gibson and McKissick, and I want to say even another guy to Christian McCaffrey. So he might just be pulling that comparison out of his ass all the time. <laughs> there's, there's a non-zero chance, though. If Gibson misses time, yes. that McKissick just becomes an 80% workhorse. It yeah, I, yeah, it could happen. I mean, we've we've seen some of these things. You know, he doesn't necessarily have the body type, so I can't imagine them wanting to just bang him between the tackles like that. You know, for a game, especially if they think that Antonio Gibson could be out for some period of time. It could like, be like an Eckler put... role, though. Yeah, no, I think he could definitely play the Eckler type role. Um, I've got him at RB twenty right now in my first pass for the week. So I've got him in my fourth tier. I've got um, Jarrett Patterson in tier five, just because of what you just said. I do expect Patterson to take over a bigger portion of what Gibson is leaving behind. But I think what McKissick adds to what he's already doing, and I feel like if the game gets in a crunch, if the game if they get down by a ton of points, which you just mentioned, they're nine and a half point dogs in the game. There's a lot of paths here for by the time we get to halftime, we're like, where's Jarrett Patterson? I don't know. Uh, who's Jarrett Patterson? I don't know who he is. Like, I feel like this could be completely the McKissick show by halftime but it is the Packers the Packers do weird things like they kind of you know they'll mess around in the first half but they have been leading these bad teams in the set late in the second half uh, which has been why we've seen so much AJ um, you know Dylan recently from their side so yeah I've got McKissick right now in my top 20 that's my first pass at it I, I just finished it before the show started I've only graded my top 30 backs and so he's inside of that Jaden McKissick, do not sleep on the man. Yeah, the only reason I really bring that up, I was doing my running back article and just realized last week, even with Gibson in and out of the lineup, Patterson only ends up with one carry. McKissick ends up with eight and, you know, going back and watching this game, they weren't just one continued like scat back sweep after another. They're at least comfortable from time to time giving McKissick carries in between the tackles. So only other note I would say is keep trusting Terry McLaurin people. I know it's not ideal. He's banged up. I will say though, I mean, he was still getting open deep last week. Really didn't actually notice him playing at less than 100%, even though he was. And on the year, only guys with a higher percentage of their team's air yard share, Brandon Cooks and Jamar Chase. And McLaurin is also one of only only six receivers with a target share over 30%. So it's not ideal, but McLaurin, just like Brandon Cooks, even if the quarterback situation isn't great, just far too much volume to bust here. So trust Terry, McKissick, don't be afraid to go down that route. Ricky Seals-Jones, if Gibson's active, you know, we're going to trot him out there as this probably, you know, top 20 back. And he's been that really like last week was the first time he's busted in a while. So I don't want to just act like Gibson's useless if he's going to keep playing through the pain. Obviously not an ideal situation for pretty much anyone involved with the Washington football team this year, though. On a slightly more positive note, Dwayne, we got the Green Bay Packers. And I would like to think Devontae Adams gets more than five targets this week. Call me crazy. I feel like it could happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I'm betting the over on five targets. I don't bet the over on five targets for hardly anything, but I would bet the over for Devontae Adams pretty much every week on the over for five targets. Um, 
you know, as far as the Packers go, just a couple of interesting notes here. I mean, they are they are favored, like you mentioned, by nine and a half points. Um, so this could still be a week where AJ Dillon is good enough with all the bye weeks that we have um, to sneak in. I did I don't have him in my top thirty, but he's right there on the cusp this week. So you know, listen to this, Ian. So Dillon, you know, he's really living on these leading scripts. You know, when the Packers are trying to ice the game, which is also good news if if you're an Aaron Jones. Um, fantasy manager. Aaron Jones still has all the things you want. He still picked up most of the work from Jamal Williams in the passing game. It's just a lot of the running work, which we thought would happen anyway, from Jamal Williams is going to A.J. Dillon, but he's getting a little bit more than that because of the way these game scripts are working out. But if you look at in week six, 48% of his snaps and 46% of his attempts came when the Packers were up by 10 points or more. So they're going to this four-minute offense. They're just basically wanting the game to be over. Um, But Jones, you know, whenever the team you know, is in a close game or in a slightly trailing script um, or just slightly leading, not these big leads, 68% of the snaps, 65% of the attempts. So that's good for you long-term for Jones. This week, I do have Aaron Jones number three. It is a week, you know, Ian, where if we had all the other normal backs here, you know, we've got Elliott gone. We've got Dalvin Cook gone. We've got J-Rob gone. We've got Eckler gone. We've got Najee gone. So it's really pushing. It's not the greatest matchup. You just mentioned Washington's good at, you know, making those tackles, you know, uh, closer to the line of scrimmage than a lot of these other defenses. So it's not the not the best matchup in the world for Aaron Jones. But due to all the bye weeks, I do have him at number three. And I've got A.J. Dillon sitting just outside my top 30. Washington is still single worst defense in the league in scoring right now. If you look at some of the more advanced metrics like that, like their contested target rate, I don't think they are truly the worst defense in the league. Clearly, though, a below average group and nowhere near where we anticipated them being back in August. Cincinnati Bengals are at the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore sitting as a six and a half point home favorite. Game total resting at 46 and a half. So cool thing I came across as I was doing my weekly quarterback predictions article, which you can find on pff.com. Usually get one to 300 words and at least one, usually more really cool notes about every single quarterback's upcoming week. And with Joe Burrow, he is PFF's second highest graded passer this year when blitzed. Overall, he's 34 for 47, six touchdowns and just one interception when blitzed one of only seven QBs with double-digit yards per attempt in these situations. Ravens happen to be the third most blitz-happy defense in the entire league. So it's just interesting, Dwayne, because the Ravens were someone that was not someone, but just a defense, I should say, that I was very willing to write off literally this time a week ago until they play the freaking Chargers and shut down Justin Herbert and one of the best offenses in the league. So what group are we going to see? Are we going to see the one that let Carson Wentz and the Colts go for, you know, over 400 yards and ring up 25 points in style against them? Or are we going to see the one that made Herbert and company look mortal for pretty much the first time all year? Like most things, I'm sure it's somewhere in between. But this could be the spot where Burrow actually is built to kind of take advantage of what the Ravens want to do best. So, you know, Jamar Chase, we know we're starting him every single week. Upside wide receiver two, that is only that low because of the volume concerns. But with all the buys, I wouldn't blame anyone for squeezing him in to that top 12 or top 10. You're starting him. Rank the guy wherever the hell you want. You're starting him. T. Hey, Higgins Ian, and Tyler, real quick on the yeah. Bengals, just for just a quick note there, you know, as I was working on the utilization report this week, you know, the Bengals, they're, let's, I won't, you know, let's not hold our breath, but over the last couple of weeks, like we are seeing a little bit better pace, you know, from them, you know, they're, they're third worst right now in plays per game and dropbacks per game, you know, but over the last three games, they ranked 22nd 
and 19th in plays and drop back. So it's getting a little bit better. You know, I always want to keep an eye on the trends. Um, they're throwing the ball 57%, you know, of, uh, sorry. Um, so despite leading on 89% of their plays in week six, they still threw the ball 57% of the time or dropped back to pass 57% of the time, which before this, they had been more of like a 50-50 team in that kind of game situation. So we could see them starting to lean a little more into the pass, a little less in the run, and maybe picking up the pace just a little, not anywhere near what we thought we were going to get based on what we saw last year, but I think we could be taking some good steps. On the year, dead last in situation neutral pace per football outsiders. Come on, guys. Like, I just don't even get it, man. Last year they were 16th, and that was heavily impacted from Burrow being out. So that's good news, Dwayne. We want that to keep going in the right direction. With that said, I mean, look, if you have Higgins, you have Boyd, I understand you might just have to start them this week. Just realize, I mean, preseason stuff, we were looking at a 1A, 1B, 1C situation. Right now it's looking clear cut. Number one is Jamar Chase. Big step down. I would give T. Higgins definitely the 2A over Tyler Boyd's 2B. Maybe even want to go 1-2-3 with the group. Either way, Higgins and Boyd are going to be battling for those targets just a little bit more than Chase. Final note, Joe Mixon this year, third in touches, also third in PFF rushing grades. So the guy is really making the most of his, out of his opportunities on the ground. And, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, Chris Evans here as the backup. I do think at this point... That's so tough to say, actually. Samaje Piran versus Evans is tough because we saw Piran come in and get the featured role when Mixon was playing at less than 100%. But man, oh man, like if Samaje is not going to carve out any sort of standalone value, if Chris Evans keeps keeping on as a receiver, particularly what he can do when they line him up out wide, I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year, Dwayne, we see Mixon kind of having more of the role he had last year with Evans actually being the Giovanni Bernard compliment. And if you ask Evans, and we've seen him say this in interviews, basically the coaches just had him watch every single snap Giovanni Bernard has taken over the past few years, or at least in 2020, trying to get him right for that role. So it's just a development. Uh, I think we talked about this yesterday on the waiver pod, but yeah, you should be feeling pretty good if you have Chris Evans in Dynasty. Probably nothing too serious in 2021, but the rookie has been very exciting to watch. So loving Joe Mixon, loving Jamar Chase could be a sneaky good spot for Burrow based on some of those blitz numbers. With the Ravens, Dwayne, we got Latavius Murray maybe dealing with this ankle injury, even if he's out though. What the hell are we doing here? This is way too muddled. Yeah, it's not a bad matchup on the ground. And this last week, we did see the Ravens, you know, get into a leading script and they ran 21 personnel for 40% of their plays. So if you're looking at the utilization report this week and you're like, man, all these all these receivers and tight ends, their routes are down. It's because they were in blowout mode. They were just basically trying to get the game over. And so that really helped make sure that each one of these guys ended up scoring and they ended up coming through in some way, shape or form in fantasy. So number one, I don't know that you can count on that sort of game script, you know, from week to week. I do think that Cincinnati's a good enough team that this could just be a very competitive game. You know, Cincinnati could be leading. So that's a factor. Um, number two, I just have no clue, Ian, what they're going to do with the three guys. There's nothing in the utilization that says, any one of them has a certain role. They're just literally mixing them in. So for all we know, really, they're just approaching it like it's this hot hand. Le Le'Veon Bell does get a little bit more of the work in the passing downs. You do see a little bit more of the short down and distance for Latavius Murray. But even that can be kind of wobbly. It doesn't always um, stick 
you know, from week to week to week. So it's a really tough backfield. Um, the biggest takeaway is, look, we, you know, it's four backs, you know, because Lamar Jackson's 1A. And then you got the other three guys, and none of them are very good. It'd be one thing if one of them was explosive. And we know that, you know, Williams has really shown the most explosiveness, but he's done something evidently with the coaches where they don't really trust him. So I think the best case scenario, Ian, would be if Latavius Murray is out, that Williams gets his chance again and actually shows them and does whatever the things are you and I can't see or we don't know that are going on on film. Like he takes care of those issues, cleans them up, maybe eventually takes over half of the backfield. Um, as far as the receivers go, um, Marquise Brown, I know a lot of folks are kind of worried, you know, Ian, right now. Um, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Like, and I love Rashad Bateman. He's a feature uh, part of the, of the utilization report this week. Um, so you can go check that out. It's up now. But Marquise Brown, man, like, it's, uh, like he was just a couple of inches from having another touchdown catch last week that would have made his box score look a lot better. Um, he continues to stretch the field. He's grading out really well. He's, he's performing the best he's ever performed in his career. He's out there for the most routes. He's out there for the most snaps of all the receivers on the team. And we're on it. We're talking about a team with Lamar Jackson's throwing the ball 10% more. They're on pace to throw the ball 10% more than last year. They're throwing the ball more in every single game script, trailing, close, leading. Um, it could be a confluence of different things that are coming together to really create this scenario. One, they don't have any backs, but number two, they've been investing in these receivers. They've been investing in the passing game for the last three years. So I think it's kind of like the perfect you know, storm that's come together, but I think we'll continue to see this team throw the ball more. And so Marquise Brown, if for some reason, you know, you've got one of those, you know, fantasy managers in your league, that's kind of like, yeah, Rashad Bateman's here. Marquise Brown's going to be a wide, low end wide receiver three. I, I don't see it like not with the way things are working. Um, and I don't expect Marquise Brown to have 150 targets. I think he's going to have about 120, but I think he's still going to be in the top 18 receivers when the season's over. Very good points all around. I mean, Lamar Jackson last week, okay, 167 yards. Before that, 442 and 316. This is not, you know, your grandpa's Lamar Jackson. The guy is throwing for yards much more often this year. And as Twins telling you, it's coming with an increase of volume, which we can always get behind. Panthers at the Giants. Carolina sitting as two and a half point favorites. Game total is at 43. So, I mentioned the prayer yard stat before. Again, both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and the top five receivers and basically missed opportunities that we can conclude were the quarterback's fault. So not going too great for uh, Mr. Donald. There's a lot of reasons why this offensive line hasn't been doing him too many favors. We also had eight drops last week, which I believe was the sixth most in a single game over the past 10 years. So I get it. Not fully on Darnold by any stretch. Also not always helping his cause as well. Like with a lot of these things, I don't think Darnold was exceptional last week. Also wasn't as bad as some people made him out to be. I mean, we see the talent. That throw to Ian Thomas down the seam, I think, was maybe the single best throw of the week. Just one of these things where, you know, not quite the guy we saw in the first three weeks of the year. Also not as bad as the guy that we saw with the Jets for the last three years. So focusing more on the usable fantasy pieces. I think DJ Moore gets to James Bradbury shadowed, but I'm really not worried about this one, people. Bradbury is at his best against, you know, Cortland Sutton, Josh Gordon types. Just the bigger body receivers that are going to box you out and just go win. DJ Moore, like, I don't know if there's a cornerback in the league that can check this guy for 60 minutes without safety help, let alone Bradbury, who we've seen CeeDee Lamb. Take, take advantage of and other guys Terry McLaurin throughout this year 
the route running technicians can just give him a lot of problems. So no downgrade at all for DJ Moore. And for Robbie Anderson, man, it's just a matter of when he's actually going to get this spike week. You know, Dwayne, we were calling him a buy low. Hell, he might be a freaking pick him off the waiver wire uh, at some point, depending on what kind of <laughs> league is. type you're in. Yeah, yeah I he's, mean, he's out there in like 30 to 40 percent of leagues when you look at ESPN and Yahoo. Like when I was writing the utilization report, I was like, whoa, yeah, like it, he's he's going to pop like and it's going to happen soon. Like these drops can't keep happening. Last three weeks, 11 targets, seven targets and 11 targets. McCaffrey's not coming back and Terrence Marshall is in the concussion protocol. So Robbie is a good player. I know he had the drops last week. Would not be shocked if this is the week that we finally see him get that boom back into things. So DJ Moore is anyone's idea of an upside wide receiver one. And truly with Robbie, like boomer bust, wide receiver three, that is due for a boom after doing a lot of busting. Quickly on Chuba Hubbard. Last three weeks without McCaffrey, PPR, RB36. And then without Rodney Smith involved, RB16 and RB22. So again, removing Rodney from the equation gives Chuba all that pass down work. We still see Royce Freeman for a chunk of snaps per game, but Chuba has earned weekly upside RB2 tweetment, and I would not be shocked at all if he is in the top 12 ranks this week with uh, by Armageddon on hand. And yeah, man, one of the big quotes to come out of this week, Matt Rule, you know, a lot of people consider him and Joe Brady kind of at the forefront of a lot of these good offensive things happening around the league but man wants to quote unquote shout out etr establish the run a little bit more often which you know would be good news for chuba i don't think it'd be good news for the panthers you know chances of winning football games but in fantasy land we'll take the volume when we can get it and looking at this stretch man they have a week 13 bye i'm not saying mccaffrey is going to be out all the way until then but you look at the schedule this week, Giants 26 in PPR points for game allowed to running backs. Next week, the Falcons are 23rd. Patriots, Cardinals, those are two top 12 teams. If McCaffrey's still out, though, we get the football team in week 11 and the Dolphins in week 12. So a lot of good matchups here for Chuba to potentially eat. And again, he's got a nice little floor without Rodney involved. So please, you better have a damn good reason for leaving Chuba on the bench for pretty much as long as McCaffrey remains sidelined. Now, Dwayne, we got the Giants. We heard earlier before this podcast, Kadarius Tony not expected to suit up, which absolutely sucks. He was just becoming such a joy to watch each and every week. Still got some options, though. Stealing Shepard's back. Devontae Booker's got a big role of Saquon State's sideline. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I mean, for Tony, look, we just want him healthy. <laughs> because, like, just for the few plays at the beginning of that game, I mean, I went back and watched him, and I'm just like, this guy, man, like, the, he's got something really special about him. I don't know what his career is going to end up looking like because all sorts of weird stuff can happen with these players. But he's a player that I definitely want to see have the opportunity to just be healthy and see what he can do. But, yeah, we'll just have to keep an eye. You know, we <laughs> I think you mentioned on the podcast yesterday the, you know, the reemergence of Dante Pettis. Uh, you know, so Pettis kind of flash you know when he was a rookie with San Francisco and then you know he got in the doghouse like Brandon Ayuk has you know with Kyle Shanahan you get in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse and look I, I can't do anything for you like we're just you know we're just podcasters you know we can't do anything Dante but you know maybe you can you can revive your career enough to put something <laughs> on film here but yeah Sterling Shepard's really the big story Ian if you look at him in, in the three games that he's completed PPR finished 9 22 and 17 Ooh. and he clearly stepped right back into that role he's Daniel Jones most trusted um, advisor confidant safety blanket uh I don't know Pacifier. Advisor. You, <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, but Daniel Jones and Sterling Shepard, they probably have lunch, brunch, dinner more 
than Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. Like these guys got to hang out all the time. They may have bunk beds right next to each Dan, other. At, when it's time to do taxes, Daniel Jones talks to Sterling <laughs> Shepard before he talks to his wife. Exactly. Exactly. So so Shepard, he he's in a good spot. You know, I've got I've got Shepard sitting um, right now again. This first pass just was working on this before the podcast. I've got him a wide receiver eighteen this week. We do have quite a few folks on by. I think he's really more of a. Um, I think of him more as a, a wide receiver three for the rest of the season, but he'll definitely have those wide receiver two weeks. But for this week, you know, he's right there in that mid wide receiver one, mid wide receiver two, sorry, range. And I think that's really where he belongs, despite the fact that, you know, we've got low implied points for, you know, the Giants. But, you know, the Giants can end up being, you know, it's it's not a blowout looking situation like what we had last week with the Rams, right? This could be a close game with them in Carolina and it can end up being more of a shootout than what we think. So with Daniel Jones, the other thing is just don't forget, you know, he has had several really good performances this year. Um, The thing with Jones that, you know, is really the key like to his fantasy success, you know, ultimately he needs to get his weapons back. But if you look at his, you know, work in the design rushing attempt, you know, game 14%, that's fifth in the league. He's also got the eighth highest scramble rate in the league. This last week, he only scrambled 2% of the time, but will be two full weeks removed from the concussion. So I expect Daniel Jones to be out there, you know, really doing his thing. Is he really a great NFL quarterback? You know, I, I don't know. I think he looks better than he has, but I tell you this, he can be a good fantasy quarterback. So this week he will be inside my top 12. Right now I have him at number 11, Ian. Yeah, the thing with Daniel Jones last week, as horrific as that was, he wasn't that bad to start the year. We were calling him Danny Dimes, Danny Vic, because of all the things he was doing there. It was quite literally our worst-graded PFF game of the year from a passing standpoint among all guys with at least 25 pass attempts. So, hey, Carson Wentz just had the single best game of the year in PFF passing grade. Do you expect him to do that again? No. Do we expect Daniel Jones to be the worst quarterback in the league again? No. So just again, remember, week to week league one week at a time don't hold it too far against these guys if you can help it falcons at the dolphins atlanta sitting as two and a half point favorites this has swung it opened as miami uh favored by a point people came their senses and now we got the falcons up two and a half game total resting at 47 and a half calvin ridley missed last week personal reasons he is back could be the get right week we've been hoping for if and even maybe if not if uh Xavier howard and byron jones remain out of the picture but hey we saw mike evans antonio brown and chris Godwin have no problem with these guys even when they were healthy so i don't think you know banged up versions are gonna be able to get in the way of ridley he just needs to get on the same page with matt ryan and we were so ready for the breakout to happen in week six or they were just on by so uh Whatever. Last time they're about to play, <laughs> literally like the most un- unrealized air yards we could have asked for. So they're close. We've seen Matt Ryan play a lot better over the past few weeks compared to how he started the year. And if you just look at pure expected fantasy points over fantasy points, so like which guys have the largest difference in fantasy points and expected fantasy points, our guy Robbie Anderson and Calvin Ridley. So Ridley. The usage is there. We just need him to produce. And like Robbie, even more so, we have seen Ridley be a great player in the past. So prime buy low candidate if you can go get him. Because again, this time next week, I don't think we're going to be able to get him quite as cheap as you could right now. And hey, we all know Cordero Patterson, stud among stud, kings, uh, king among kings. Don't sleep on Mike Davis maybe having a nice little bounce back here. He has not been that bad this year. First of all, tied for fifth in total force missed tackles on the season. And you look at what happened in their last game in London before. So in week four, 
Mike Davis, it looked like he was maybe starting to lose some work to Wayne Gallman. We saw him active for basically the first time all season. He was actually looking okay. What happened in London, though? Gallman went back to being absolutely nothing. So if they're going to stick, which is not guaranteed, but if they're going to stick with Mike Davis as the lead early down guy, Cordero Patterson playing this you know cool hybrid running back wide receiver hybrid thing, we're still looking at Mike Davis getting around 15 combined carries and targets. We're just kind of writing him off because he hasn't had a great start of the year. Well, maybe this Dolphins defense could be where it all comes together. They've had a week to get better. We got Miami coming back from London, which is kind of crazy. I thought they were guaranteed a buy coming back uh, from another freaking country. But you look at what they've allowed this year on the ground. Week one, Damon Harris goes for 100 yards. Week two, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss combined for over 100, three touchdowns between them. Peyton Barber, everyone, including John, mostly John Gruden's favorite running back, 111 yards and a touchdown. Week four, Jonathan Taylor, 103 yards and a touchdown. Leonard Fournette goes for 67 and a touchdown. Most recently, James Robinson, 73 and a touchdown, only on the ground. So Mike Davis, if you need to start someone this week because of all these damn buys, I, I think you could be doing a lot worse. Obviously, my guy CPAT, upside RB2 at worst. You see the, uh, I think it was FanDuel pricing, Dwayne. Cordero Patterson's like right up there with Hopkins and like top five at the position. I love it, man. My guy getting the uh, respect he deserves, but yeah, probably going to regress just a little bit. <laughs> well, it does also show you, I mean, this is a crazy week. Like, I mean, looking at my rankings right now, I'm like, you know, I got Daryl Henderson number two. I've got DeAndre Swift six. I got Leonard Fournette at seven. You know, I mean, Daryl Williams is freaking nine. Like James Connors in my top twelve. Like it's a crazy week. It's a crazy week for. I love these kind of weeks, though. To be honest, like these kind of chaos weeks, where honestly, I think like for the folks that really do dig deeper into the data, there can be you know some different edges you know that you can get in a week like this. So it's it's the kind of week I like for DFS purposes. Um, as far as the Dolphins go, um, Tua you know had his first game back last week. You know, and he ended up, you know, his grade actually came up, Ian, um, from where they originally had it, you know, after the game, and it didn't look too terrible. I know whenever you and I were first recording on Sunday night, it wasn't looking too good for Tua. Um, I know he did have some bad plays on the game, but man, here's the big thing with the Dolphins, and this is all you really care about for fantasy. Um, when you know you're dealing with a team that's really not that good, obviously you'd love to have Tom Brady's team with all his weapons. Tua doesn't have that, but the pass, the pass volume environment is good. So if you look at the Dolphins and trailing scripts, when they trail by four or more points, they're plus 12% passing versus the NFL average. When they're in close games, that means they're within three points, they're plus 5% versus the NFL average. Whenever they're leading by four or more points, they're plus 14% versus the NFL average. This team wants to throw the ball all the time. There's a little bit of self-inflicted pain here. Um, they do rank... Um, Second, as far as facing third and fourth down with seven or more yards to go. So that means they're struggling a little bit on early downs. And what's interesting, Ian, is when you look it up and it kind of like makes the whole thing seem weird. That's how these numbers work some of the time. They're actually like 52% uh, run on first down and 10. Like what? We're like, they have like eight carries a game. Do they only have like 16 first downs a game? Like what the hell's going on with this team? <laughs> uh, but uh it's a, it's a situation where they're having to throw the ball a lot. A lot of it is by design, though. We know we heard them talk about it all offseason. Look, they were going to be trying to get the ball out quick, but they wanted to get vertical, get it down the field, which brings me really to my second point. If you look at our guy, Jalen Waddle, Tua, when he's with Tua, he has 9.1 ADOT. When he has Jacoby Brissett, a 3.8 ADOT. So on the season. So that's good news, um, you know, for Jalen Waddle. The other thing with Waddle, man, that's really interesting, you know, he's the second 
Um, if you look at the league and you look at receivers that get moved around right at the snap to try to free them up, to give them you know more space to work with, help get them a target, he's second to only Chris Godwin. 19% of his receptions have come off of motion at the snap. So they are doing things with Waddle. Now he's getting to work a little further down the field. It is an upgrade at quarterback. So let's, I, I gave, I gave, uh, I didn't give Waddle like a full upgrade. I want to see another game of this. I already had him as a mid range to high end wide receiver three, you know, depending on matchup. Um, so I've still got him there. Um, but this week he's definitely going to rank inside of that because of all the bye weeks. If I look at him right now, I've got Jalen Waddle number 26 in my rankings. I could see him sneaking into the top 24. There's a couple names like right there in that same range that I could end up liking Jalen Waddle over. Um, as far as the backfield, you guys don't need me to tell you anything. It's complete madness. I'm sorry. Anything you can do, if any one of these players has a breakout game, I don't care if it's Miles Gaskin. Hopefully you did it last week and Miles Gaskin had his big game. You just got to unload them because, you know, life's too short to worry about the Dolphins' backfield. That's my philosophy. Life is too short. I actually may just take it out of the utilization report and I may just put like a little placeholder. It'll just be the section formerly known as time spent talking about the Dolphins' backfield, but we're just not going to talk about it anymore. Josh uh, Hernsmeyer would do that with his air yards model where eventually he would just yes. have redact redacted, redacted. Uh, in place <laughs> of who it should be. But yeah, don't, uh, don't look now, people. Well, I guess I am looking, but Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, 26 on the season. Might just be a wide receiver too before everything is said and done. We got the Jets coming off thereby against the Patriots in Foxborough, New England sitting at seven and a half point favorites. Game total is at 43 points. Again, check out the waiver wire pod with Dwayne and I for more thoughts on Michael Carter, but we really think he is the best running back ad of the week. A lot of the other guys, Dearness Johnson um, and those types, yeah, they are better options for this week. But again, if you want someone that could give you the sort of RB3 floor with upside for more for the rest of the season, not just a week or two, I do think that Michael Carter is that guy, pal. So otherwise, Zach Wilson, please like take care of the ball a little bit, man. Right now, we only have four quarterbacks with at least 10 turnover-worthy plays. And Wilson is in this group despite already having a bye right there alongside Trevor Lawrence, Sam Darnold, and Big Ben Roethlisberger. And adding to the issue, Zach Wilson, seven big-time throws, fewest out of that group. Not good when you're in a group with Ben Roethlisberger and you can't get more big-time throws than the guy. I see the flashes. We're five games into his career. Not writing off Wilson just yet, but man, tough to say anything good about the guy at this point. It just really has been brutal to watch. Yeah, I can pick out four or five throws from the year that look fantastic, but we need just some sort of baseline consistency. This is why the Jets are the 32nd ranked scoring offense in the league. So Michael Carter, RB3. After that, Corey Davis, and you're just praying that you're going to get one of the good weeks. Started off the year, overall wide receiver five, all the victory laps on Twitter about the steal that he was in these late rounds. After that, wide receiver 89, wide receiver 52, wide receiver seven, and then back down to wide receiver 51. So it's just so muddled around him and such a low upside offense. I think Corey Davis is the only receiver that you can start with even a semblance of confidence in this one. And I think that about wraps it up here. I understand Dak Prescott and Davis Mills, even these past two weeks, have had a lot of success against the Patriots. Maybe the Jets coming out of the bye can add to that group. Just not, you know, one of those bets that I'm going to act on with any level of confidence. With the Patriots, Dwayne, I will say, hand up, I was not ready to crown Mac Jones to start the year. Just absolutely miserable as a deep ball passer. I'm still not crowning him, and Dennis, my best Dennis Green voice, but he did look a lot better against the Cowboys than we've seen previously. 
Yeah, man. I mean, I watched obviously every snap of that game. <clears throat> um, he, I thought he showed good anticipation. Um, you know, he and Jacoby Myers, you know, like <laughs> Jacoby's eventually going to score a touchdown. Like it's going to happen. Um, but they're on the same page. I don't know what they're doing with John o. Smith, though. It just puzzles me. Like two of his targets were on wide receiver screen type plays. I'm just like, come, like guys, come on. Like there's better ways to use John o. Smith. Really, Hunter Henry has kind of taken over. Uh, he's separated. You know, he was in the route 77% of the time last week. So Hunter Henry is really, you know, the tight end to be rostering. But if you look at the Patriots overall, there's a couple things, you know, that are concerning. Now, last week they were just super efficient. But if you look at them over the last three games, they're now only averaging 53.3 plays, which is second worst in the league over that, um, over that span. The run volume is really poor. Um, so despite the fact that, you know, Damian Harris can be a solid, you know, player when he's splitting with two other backs and they just don't get enough volume, you really need him to punch in the touchdown. Um, now they do run the ball third most once they're inside the five. So once they get down there, they do love to give the ball to Damian Harris, but I'm just kind of keeping an eye on that volume because early in the season, we were seeing a bit more up-tempo, a bit more hurry up, things that were showing us, okay, maybe there can be enough volume here. We don't really have anyone elite in the offense, but maybe we could have one or two weapons be viable because we're running enough plays. Um, so like I said, last week it did work out because the Patriots ended up being very efficient, um, hitting some big chunk plays against the Cowboys. Um, as far as the, the skilled positions go, you already talked about Harris, but Ramondre Stevenson, just know he did see um, a little bit more work last week in the passing game, but it's because they never used the two-minute offense, which is what I was just talking about. So Brandon Bolden, he had his snaps go down, and Stevenson's went up because Bolden really owns the two-minute offense. And so when they didn't use that, there were more first and second downs. The Patriots were just not in long down and long distance very often. The Cowboys, um, especially after the first half, they were just giving up too many yards on first and second down. So it just wasn't a Brandon Bolden game. Worked out a little better for Ramondre Stevenson, but I think Stevenson is really a tough start, Ian. I really believe that Damian Harris is the only guy you want to be using. I think break glass in case of emergency, fine. You can throw uh, Stevenson in there. If it's PPR, I'd probably still slightly lean to Bolden, assuming these last three weeks don't mean that like two minutes drills gone forever from New England's playbook, which I wouldn't think. It's probably just something that has more to do with the game scripts that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. As far as the passing games go, real quick, on um, on freaking Harris, it's, uh, it reminds me of honestly like the Daryl Henderson game when we like really knew the backfield was his. He was coming into the game less than 100%. We had seen Sony finally get some run and what happened? Henderson still dominated. Last week, Damon Harris came into it questionable. We had the rib injuries. He had lost another brutal fumble the week before. What happened? He completely dominated usage. And I would note, when Stevenson got that goal line touchdown, that was because Harris hobbled Harris off the floor. Harris pulled himself off, yeah. And Harris came back in for overtime. So we'll see. He might be limited throughout the week in practice. But, yeah, Stevenson, maybe an emergency spot start, but we are not anticipating a takeover by any stretch of the imagination. Back to you. Yeah, no, I think, you know, where we are with Harris is we're hoping, you know, he can get 60 to 70% of the rushing attempts. Yeah. Um, but I don't know yet, like, because the, the two weeks before even, you know, he's at 44%. Then we had the Houston game where we know he was hurt, only 45%. Now, last week we saw 67, but he was he was playing really well against the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, like, their interior defensive line, like, that's you can just blow them up right there. And Leighton Vander Esch yeah. is a side-to-side linebacker. He does not want to plug the hole. Neither did Jalen, which is why Jalen's gone. So, I guess it's all eyes on Micah Parsons every single play now. 
Yeah, uh, just real quick. We just, I think we just need to throw out those Saints and Buccaneers games, honestly, because they just did not want to run the ball. And we brought up before Washington, Saints, Buccaneers. Those are your clear-cut top three run defenses in terms of just being able to get the guy down closest to the line of scrimmage, the goal of playing run defense. So I do think that Harris should be a low-end RB2 more weeks than not. But that's enough about the ever-evolving and ever-frustrating Patriots RB2. Yeah, you say all that just to call him a low-end RB2. Come on, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you're going to have to go stronger the hole with it. No, um, you know, the only thing I'll say, like it's a little different than Henderson just because he's not getting the two-minute work, not getting the long down and distance work. He's truly the early down back. So he, yes, he is getting most of the early down work, but he's not, he's not like a Henderson or some of these other guys just because he's missing out. Now, I think the good uh, comp that you gave would be Leonard Fournette on a lesser offense. That's really what you have here. You have Leonard it was, Fournette. It wasn't so much a comp to Henderson, more so if we were going to see Sony take over, it would have been gotcha. that week. If we were going to see Stevenson take over, it would have been last week compared to this week. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so we won't say any more time. Who, people are like, God, you guys are still talking about the Patriots. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Jacoby Myers, uh, look, targets 28%, 18%, 32% over the last three weeks, 25% target. Look, you can be in a really crappy offense, an average offense, a below average offense. What do you guys want? To, whatever you guys want to call the Patriots right now, you can read my utilization report to say where I grade this offense, but it's 25% you know, on the season target share. So good things are eventually going to happen for Jacoby Myers. He, you know, he's ranked right now at wide receiver 34. That's probably about, you know, a little, maybe a little below where he belongs, but I would say, you know, he's, he's a, he's an early thirties type guy, but he is eventually going to have one of these weeks in where we're like, Oh man, Jacoby Myers, wide receiver eight. Like, and this could be the week for that to happen. Not a great matchup, but we have a lot of other really good receivers on by. Yeah, at some point in his career, you'd like to think he'll catch a touchdown. <laughs> have one last week, of course, got nullified. You know what's going to happen. It's going to be like three in one game. <laughs> a man can dream. Eagles at the Raiders. Las Vegas sitting as three-point favorites. Game total is at 48.5. Jalen Hurts has had 10 career starts. Here are his QB finishes. QB 11, first, 12th, 20th, and three quarters. Thank you, Nate Sudfeld. Had to say your name on this pod as we do every week. Fifth. 10th, 10th, 4th, 11th, and most recently 6th. Since Jalen Hurts took over in Week 14 last year, here are the total number of players, and just their names in particular, that have more rushing production fantasy points. Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, David Montgomery, Alvin Kamara, and Ezekiel Elliott. That is it. 6th among running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, whoever the hell you want to say in fantasy points from rushing production it's just absolute madness even ahead of lamar jackson in this stat is jalen hurts lamar jackson as a rusher no but when he gets these touchdowns when he's running more frequently than lamar it does actually put him ahead so jalen hurts continues to be a top five quarterback and you know as bad as he was in that buccaneer game we always see this happen man every single monday and thursday night game the opinions are just magnified because everyone is watching these guys and you know they're not watching uh, the eagles every week and i don't blame you i'm not telling you to go grind jalen hurts film it's not this great time but just realize like he's not this incapable passer and that's why that you should not be afraid to start Devontae Smith in this one. Again, it sucked last week. It was supposed to be a smash ball against the Buccaneers. I get it. But even that defense, despite how banged up their cornerback room is, you know, we talked we talked about this a little bit with the Broncos and their potential having just 
no chance with the pressure. I think that was the bigger issue. Because remember, this Eagles offense, yeah, they made do against the Chiefs without four offensive linemen, but that has been a big issue for them in past weeks. So Lane Johnson is back. He's missed the last few weeks with some mental health stuff. He's back in the equation, and I think that should help the upside of this passing attack. So, again, style points do not matter in Fantasyland, people. We've still seen Jalen Hurts clear 300 freaking yards in four of his 10 career starts. So, don't be afraid to go back to the well with Devontae Smith. We're loving Jalen Hurts, and... I guess we'll put in Miles Sanders this week because you probably don't have a better option too. So the usage is moving in the right direction for Miles. The problem is he's just the RB2 on his team, clear cut behind Jalen Hurts. So the snaps are going up. The even rush attempts are looking better than they have in the past. And he did well with the opportunities against Tampa Bay of all teams. It's just a matter of will this persist or are we going to see another two to five rush attempt duds? So Miles Sanders. You know, I want to say low-end RB2, Dwayne. That sounds about right. But maybe I'm just calling everyone a low-end RB2 with the way uh, <laughs> things are shaking out this week. But I think for Miles... this week, yes. Yes. I, okay. I, I got him as 21 this there week. There we go. You know, which is kind of saying something. You'd think he'd be higher. But I did give him a, an upgrade today in the utilization report. Um, I did call it a slight upgrade. So I had to qualify it. It's almost like your low-end RB2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, look, it's an upgrade. I have to give it to him because I, I downgraded him three weeks ago. And since then, like his utilization has gone up. And that's the point of the utilization report is to look at the underlyings. Um, the problem is um, if you look at the last four games, like the Eagles have trailed like 90% of all plays. So they're already a pass heavy team. Then they're trailing. And then you mentioned it inside the five. It's the Jalen Hurts show, not Miles Sanders. But outside of that, like he's doing what he can do. Like he's getting more snaps, getting more rushing attempts. He's really reduced Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Gainwell's role. Gainwell still gets most of the two minute offense, but other than that, Sanders is handling pretty much everything. He's eventually going to have to have a game. Um, it, it's like I'm more confident than I've been all season in Miles Sanders, but it's still kind of in meh <laughs> territory. That's that's how I feel. It's like, okay, at some point it'll work, but he's going to need to hit one of those home runs. And he's capable of doing that. We saw yeah. it last year. We'll see when it happens. Final note, Dallas Goddard. Dwayne, I think the only guys at tight end you would start over him this week, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts, end of list, correct? Yeah, I've got, yeah, I think the Goddard, Fant, Hawkinson is the tier where you could say any one of those three. Right, could yeah. could finish in the top, but yeah, I've got Kelsey Waller, Andrews, and Pitts over over. I've got Goddard at five right now. That is more than fair. Gotta love that. We've been waiting a long time for this Dallas Goddard We've been in waiting. a Zach Ertless less uh, offense, and we are finally here, people. Dwayne, what's going on with the Raiders? It seems like maybe, just maybe, we got a new usable weekly piece in Henry Ruggs. Yeah, we might. Um, Derek Henry, man, he, I mean, Derek Henry, Derek Carr last week just came out like, you know, like I was so excited, like, you know, Derek Henry's game last night, but uh, 12.6 yards per attempt, whereas the two previous, he had played well to begin the year, but then week four and five, 5.8 and 5.9. Um, average depth of target last week, 11.8. The Raiders were really pushing it, pushing it, you know, down the field. And to your point, you know, a lot, of, a big part of that is Henry Ruggs. If you look at Henry Ruggs, his average depth of target over the last three weeks, 22.7, 15, 24.5. It's 18.6 on the season. 26% of his passes come on play action. Um, so, I mean, Ruggs is right there. His routes now over the last three weeks, he had been down in the 60s and 70% range over the first three weeks, which is like, okay, we just can't do anything with this. 83%, 87%, 87%. We need him to get up to 90% and stay over that. Um, but because 
he has this big playability, and he really only needs one or two catches to pay off for you. Um, now it can be very hit or miss. Um, Ruggs is getting to a spot where he could be playable in deeper formats, but the bigger thing we're looking for is can he take one more step forward in and just get more consistent with the targets? They're still bouncing around a bit. His targets per route run sitting at 16%. Not terrible for a player as young as he is, but we wanted to push that up over 18%. We'd love it to get around 20%. Um, it's still second on the team, or third on the team, really. You've got um, Waller sitting at 21%, targets per route run, 22% Hunter Renfro. And the reason you folks hear me say targets per route run is because it's really the equalizer. We're only counting, you know, targets for the plays that the receivers are out there. So it just tells, it's just giving us a little bit of insight that, okay, what if the player's role expanded? Could they potentially, you know, with more routes, score more fantasy points? You know, obviously more routes, no matter where they are in targets per route run, is going to equal more fantasy points. But we're looking for the guys that are kind of sticking out. So Ruggs isn't quite to that area of sticking out in targets per route run, but he's pretty close um, and he could still take a step forward. So, yeah, he is a player that I like. Um, Looking at it this week, you know, again, <laughs> the running back uh, field is very thin. I've got Josh Jacobs right now in at running back 13. He was borderline my RB12. And again, this is still early in the week, but a pretty solid our running backs uh, strength of schedule with a, a plus 6.7, um, which is about probably sixth or seventh on the slate this week. We've got quite a few good matchups, but that's still a really positive number um, against the Eagles. You've got a competitive game. Um, you know, so it's a situation where I do think you can fire Josh Jacobs up. If you look at him over the last couple of weeks, honestly, it's kind of like what we talked about with Damian Harris. Um, but honestly, utilization standpoint, better. 81% of the rushing attempts, 71% of the rushing attempts, 64% of the rushing attempts. He's been out there on a route over uh, 54%, 50, 43%, and 50%, which really before we've seen you know Jacobs really down like in the 30% ranges as far as his routes go. So now he's sitting around half. Um, now the two previous weeks he did get targeted quite quite a bit, 17%, 14%. Last week just really wasn't the week for that. Um, he is still giving way, long down distance, two minute offense, but he is getting the early down work. Um, they're staying ahead of the game when it comes to long down and distance, which is really, they've done a good job with that. Um, so they're not one of the teams that's immediately behind after first down. So that keeps Jacobs on the field longer and he can be in passing routes. And then that ultimately leads to more targets. As far as Kenyon Drake goes, you've just got to bench him. I know he finished as PPR running back eight. Now I haven't updated as of Monday night. Uh, total fluke, folks. Only 20% of the snaps, 16% of the rushing attempts. Only out there for 20% of the routes because guess what? Jalen Richard's a human being too and he has feelings and he needs to be on the field 15% of the snaps each of the last two weeks um, been out there for 17% of the routes each of the last two weeks so if you look at week four you saw what Kenyon Drake 35% of the snaps 39% of the routes the next week he falls to 18% of the snaps and 20% of the routes because where did they all go they all went to Jalen Richard so you can't use Kenyon Drake he's honestly in smaller formats he's droppable because he's not even the handcuff to Josh Jacobs the handcuff to Josh Jacobs is Peyton Barber there's really no point in Kenyon Drake right now in fantasy football Kenyon Drake played 12 snaps last week and had six touches like that's thank what God we're they, at. they paid him that money <laughs> I don't care. Oh, man. (laughs) At least a few of my best ball teams got that one week out of him. We can thank (laughs) Kenyon Drake for that. Lions at the Rams. Los Angeles sitting a 16-point favorites game total is at 50. Uh, Jared Goff has never won a game not coached by Sean McVay, which kind of sounds right when you think about it, but just to kind of hear myself say that, uh, sheesh, Jared, come on, man. Got to do something for yourself at this point. 
DeAndre Swift, though, is basically the only guy we can start in this offense other than TJ Hawkinson with any level of confidence. Only trails Najee Harris and Derrick Henry in expected PPR fantasy points this season. We have Swift at 40 targets, Najee Harris at 46. No other running back has more than 31 targets. So we just don't see running backs with Kamara not getting these targets, with McCaffrey, you know, sideline right now. Swift and Najee Harris are the closest guys we have to those usual cheat codes as pass catchers. So you're starting Swift everywhere in this spot. This is, I understand Jamal Williams has given us some flex value, but like this is worst case. This is a game that they can get down by a lot early. And what happened last week could happen again where Swift ends up really dominating usage because he is their two minute, their come from behind back if they are going to be playing an extreme negative game script. So, hey, Jamal, maybe he'll convert, you know, one of his eight to 10 touches into a short score. But, you know, I feel a lot better about that role when it's James Conner in the freaking Arizona Cardinals offense, not whatever the hell the Lions are putting out on a field on a week-by-week basis. Only other note, Amon Ross St. Brown, eight targets, eight targets, seven targets over the past three weeks. At least five catches in every single game. So we have heard Goff talk about wanting to get Amon Ross Brown more involved here and moving forward. I think he might catch a lot of Jalen Ramsey in the slot. That's where the Rams use him uh, a lot this year. But at the same time, I think the nature of his targets should help him avoid that uh, being too big of an issue for him uh, compared to maybe some other just more true number one slot receivers. So Amon Ra, if you really test for some, for some wide receivers, receiver help. I would hope you don't need to go this far down, but I do think he's someone that you can at least go out there, get over five targets, and you can live with the results from there. Only tight ends uh, with more expected points than TJ Hawkinson this year. Kelsey, Waller, Andrews. Usage is fantastic. Continue to start him with confidence. We saw him get back to really a good performance last week. Could have been even bigger with a better ball from Goff on what could have been a nice little chunk touchdown for your boy Hawkinson. That's enough with the Lions. I won't expose everyone to another 20-minute ramble about a terrible uh, offense for the most part. But, Dwayne, Los Angeles Rams, when you said Aaron Jones was your RB3, is that right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, okay, like, because when I was looking at Henderson writing him up, I said the only two running backs I would start confidently ahead of him this week are uh, Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara. You said, screw that. It's only Derrick Henry. Daryl Henderson, RB2. We're yeah, here. Man. Yeah, I've got Daryl Henderson, um, RB2, and I just I feel great about it. Like, when I look at his utilization, like, there's nothing – there's nothing in the profile like other than could he get hurt yes but we can't predict that does he get hurt it seemingly more than other players yeah until he doesn't you know um and we saw him last week in the similar kind of game script that we're going to get to this week and i think everybody was pretty happy with daryl henderson last week rb5 you know on the week probably rb6 after monday night um so yeah i love him 81 percent of the snaps 66 percent of the rushing attempts 80 percent of the routes 10 percent of the targets 86 and this is the key stuff 86 percent of short down and distance owns that role inside the five 100 of the attempts long down and distance 71 percent of the role last week two minute offense 100 percent of that role last you know last week so there's really no game script situation that can take daryl henderson out like he's like that old song Ain't nothing gonna break him my stride. Like that's Daryl Henderson without <laughs> killing everybody with some singing here. Like nothing's breaking his stride right now. He looks great. The only thing that can get him, you know, is if he gets injured. Um, I pray to God like the social media team doesn't do anything with what just happened um, <laughs> on the air. You got, you got a better voice than that, Dwayne. Yeah. Come on. Oh no, yeah. I, yeah, I, we'll, we'll, we'll break out the guitar for that song at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Matthew Stafford, man, I've got him in my top six 
yeah, quarterback strength of schedule, number 10 overall. Um, yeah, they are favored by 15 and a half points. So he may have to throw all of these touchdowns in the first half. <laughs> um, so, but it's just, and again, it's the nature of the slate, but I've got him in the top six this week. I've got him right behind Jalen Hurts. You know, you've got Lamar, your Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Murray, Brady, Hurts, because Hurts refuses to score under 25 fantasy points ever in any fantasy football game. Then I have Matthew Stafford, and I've got Aaron Rodgers sitting right there. So pretty excited about Stafford. Look at Cooper Cup. Wow. Wide receiver strength of schedule, 10 out of 10. Perfect. Wide receiver cornerback matchup, 99.6. Robert Woods obviously gets that same wide receiver strength of schedule, a 70.4 on his wide receiver cornerback matchup. And again, this is based on PFF modeling this out to look at, okay, who do we expect to be on these receivers for what percentage of the time? So this is a cumulative grade and the wide receiver cornerback matchup tool that you can go see on the site yourself. Pretty cool thing to look at. And then tight end. Man, Tyler Higby's funny. You know, Ian, like he's one of these guys, look, he's he if he continues to play as much as he is, he could be like one of the few people ever to break these rules that I've been talking about all year <laughs> um, as far as the tight end, which is to be out there over 80% of the routes. Now, look, it's on him. The targets per route run are still, they're not there. They're not where they need to be. Um, he needs to get those up around 20%. He's sitting around 14%. Here's what I'm going to say about Tyler Higby, though, Ian. Like, it's coming. I can't say that it's going to be consistent. I'm not saying once he does it, it's going to happen every week. But he's out there enough in enough routes in an elite offense that there's eventually going to be some defense stumble their way into having Robert Woods and Cooper Cup covered at the same time on the same play. It may not happen a lot, but it's eventually going to happen. And Tyler Higby's going to have a huge week. Like, it's going to be coming. Like, and this could be the week. His tight end strength of schedule is a 10 out of 10. Look, it's the Lions. You get 10 out of 10s across. You get a 10. You get a 10. You get a 10. It's like Oprah giving out cars. You know, I mean, it's the Lions. You know, all these, uh, you know, weapons have great matchups this week. They can't obviously hit. All hit. Or can they? They could. All I'm going to say on Higby, I love him right now as far as DFS. It's hard to trust him every single week, right, in your week-to-week lineups and your season long. But in DFS, like I'm telling you guys, like it's coming. He's going to have one of these weeks where it's going to be two or three touchdowns. And if you get the rest of your, you know, some portion of your roster right, like it's going to be a huge differentiator because people are fading Higby like crazy, like crazy right now in DFS. All the underlyings are there. He just needs the targets, and we've seen him do it in the past. It's not like we've never seen Tyler Higby. Uh, you know, not be a good fantasy football player. We know that he can be. He's just got to get the right equation. It's a great point where in DFS, particularly, we're going to see so much ownership on Henderson, on Cup, on Woods. Higby could be the great backdoor play into this game. Absolutely love it. And loop it back around with Swift or Amonra St. Brown. Absolutely love it. Bears at the Buccaneers. I haven't seen enough of the Tom Brady holding up the four fingers meme yet. People, get on it. I want to see that everywhere by the time Sunday goes around. Dwayne, I've already got my scheduled tweet for Daylight Savings Time in a couple weeks where it's like me when it's 3 o'clock today and it's Brady holding up the four fingers. So I'm I'm ahead of the game, Dwayne. We're already looking ahead uh, weeks on the old uh, Twitter spare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Anyway. Chess, not checkers, Ian. Chess, not checkers. You're thinking multiple moves ahead. I know you. Tampa Bay, 13-point favorites. Game total is at 47, down just a bit from 49. So here's the thing, and it's similar to uh, kind of Teddy Bridgewater against the Browns. It's not the Browns' secondary. It's not the Buccaneers' secondary I'm worried about. I don't know if these quarterbacks are going to have enough time to take advantage of this pass defense because Justin Fields this year, whoa, buddy, 
the worst quarterback in the league under pressure. It has been miserable, and a lot of that is his release time. He is 31st among 38 quarterbacks in quickest release time. But man, if they can get even close to him, it's just been miserable. PFF passing grade among 39 qualified quarterbacks. Dead last when pressured. Big-time throw rate, 29. Turnover-worthy play rate, 34th. Yards per attempt, 36. Adjusted completion rate, dead-ass last. QB rating, 37. So, you know, you would like to think this is the week they try to throw the ball against Tampa Bay because Lord knows nobody can run on them. 89 rushing yards before contact on 98 carries against Tampa Bay people. Less than one yard is absolutely bonkers. And just two running backs specifically, legal marks and rush attempts, rush yards and rush touchdowns alike. So again, the cornerback room is terrible. I get it. But the two big assumptions we need to make here if we really want to get behind Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, one, we need Nagy and, you know, Laser, whoever the hell is calling the plays these days. We need them to actually take a step forward and let Fields do more. Far from a given, even though we've seen other teams do that against the Buccaneers. As we know by now, the Bears aren't necessarily uh, as smart as other teams. And also, we need Fields to get better in a situation where he's likely going to be under a lot of duress against the league's 12th best defense and pressure rate. And honestly, I think they're even better than that. I think that their pressure numbers are a little bit reduced because of how much teams constantly pass against them to begin with. So, yeah. Moral of the story, not really liking anyone involved in this passing game. And not really these running backs either, Dwayne, because Tariq Cohen is eligible to come back this week. I don't really think he's going to be back. I think we would have gotten an update on him moving around better, but it's possible. And Damian Williams could also be back. He spent last week on the COVID list. We're not sure how he's feeling. I hope Dame is doing much better. But if he's healthy, he's perfectly eligible to come back in action. And like, just realize, Khalil Herbert great last week and he's been performing great all year I, I took a cool stat today that was uh not yards after contact per carry because i think that can get sometimes skewed uh you know running back breaks a tackle at the line of scrimmage runs 60 yards for a touchdown you got 60 yards after contact right there so i basically took every running back's total rush attempts and then looked at who has the highest percentage of rush attempts with more than three yards after contact so the top five rbs and i use a 25 rush attempt cutoff Number one, Tony Pollard. Number two, Khalil Herbert. Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Ezekiel Elliott rounding out the top five. So again, small sample for Herbert, but he's got 40 carries on the year and he's really made the most of them. So if Damian, if Tariq remains sidelined, okay, Herbert, you're going to be hard-pressed to leave him out of your RB1 range because of how freaking involved he was last week. True, every down roll. But if either Cohen or Dame come back, now we're pushing him down to, guess what? borderline RB2 territory, low-end RB2, whatever the hell you want to call it. So it's the Chicago Bears offense, people. Like, I know we had higher expectations for them. I know there's some talent there. Ultimately, they're averaging 16.3 points per game, 30th in the league for those counting at home. On a more positive note, Dwayne, I don't know. Like, there's so many mouths to feed in this Buccaneers offense. Brady manages to do it. Start everyone. Yeah, you just start them all. We don't have to spend a lot of time, but great, great <laughs> matchups across the board. Wide receiver strength of schedule is an 8.1, which is the second strongest on the slate. Um, you got Mike Evans at an 84.2, Antonio Brown at an 85.1, and the wide receiver cornerback matchup. Um, and guys, don't forget about Chris Godwin. Like this stuff, all is going to come back around. We don't really know who's going to be the odd player out. Antonio Brown has been red hot the last two weeks. I love when the Bucks have a primetime game because everyone claims whichever Buck receiver is going off. This is the guy I've been saying he's going to lead the Bucks every week. No, he's not. 
Like it, Brady's going to go wherever the coverage dictates, whatever the you know the game plan is. The last two weeks it has been Antonio Brown. He's not on the field as much as the other two, but man, targets per route run are really great. I actually put Antonio Brown as a sell high, you know, in my utilization report this week. Not because I don't like Antonio Brown or think he's doing good things. It's just that I know it's going to level out over the course of the season between the three receivers. So if you've got someone in your league that thinks they've got to jump on the rest of you know the the planet, and they know that Antonio Brown is the top option for sure the rest of the way in Tampa Bay, well then yeah, go trade him. See what you can get for him. Um, don't give him away. We have to always say that. Ian. Don't give him away. Um, so there's two things you learn on you know this podcast today. It's that an RB2 is really an Ian Harditz RB. A low-end <laughs> RB2 is now what I'm going to call in the utilization report as a Harditz RB. That's going to be the low-end <laughs> RB. Um, number two, uh, the, the passing game for the Bucks, very diverse. One last note, though, just on Fournette. I know I said I wasn't going to say much, but they're actually a good offense. I have so many bad offenses I have to cover. I at least want to cover Fournette real quick. Did give the long down distance and the two-minute offense back to Gio Bernard over the last two weeks, but it hasn't really mattered much. You know, Ian, you talked about it two weeks ago. Number one, Ronald Jones is not involved at all. Number two, no team faces less third and fourth downs and seven or more yards to go, meaning they're staying ahead of um, you know, the down and distance. They're staying in situations where the complete playbook is staying open more than the rest of the teams in the NFL. The Bucks are only facing that kind of situation 13% of the time. The bad teams are facing that. Chargers, regression caught up last week. 20% of the time, the Chargers are facing that kind. Not saying the Chargers are a bad team, but that was one kind of thing, just kind of subtly underneath, you know, all the greatness that was going on, you know, with the Chargers. Um, and Josh Hermsmeyer actually wrote an article about it, you know, that, hey, there's probably some regression due in that area. But with the Bucks, that's not a problem. They stay ahead of the down and distance, um, you know, keep themselves in really good situations. And what that does for Fournette, that's keeping his routes up around the 50% mark, despite the fact that he's not getting the long down distance and the two-minute offense. We'd love to see that at 65 or 70%, but look, man, 50 to 60% and last week, 69% of the rushing attempts. So if you're going to get between 55 and 65% of the rushing attempts each week, which is about where I would, if I had to estimate Fournette every week, if I was the one doing our PFF projections and responsible for that, that's the range I would put him in right now. And then if you're going to get 8 to 12% of the targets, which I think is about his range on targets, and you get to play for the Bucks. Man, it's, it's just you're going to be a mid-range RB2 in full slates. And a slate like this weekend, Ian, I'd be curious if you've even thought about where you're putting Fournette, but I have him at seven right now. Bro, I was just going to say, when I was doing my breakdown, I look, I, I like these expected points because it just removes some of our biases with big plays and things like that. It just lets you focus on the usage. Leonard Fournette, the overall RB4 in expected points this year. And I said, wait a second, how is that possible? Like, isn't he not getting enough pass down work? The dude is fifth. He's tied with Cordero Patterson in receptions among all running backs this year at 25. More than Aaron Jones, more than McKissick, more than Kareem Hunt, more than all of these guys, man. Yeah, he's dropped three passes. Najee Harris has dropped five passes. We don't lose points for drops in fantasy football as long as they're going to keep giving him this workload. Dwayne, yeah, we are looking at an every week RB1. Even once guys come back, man, I think Fournette's going to be a hard, harder and harder to keep out of the top 12. You know, yeah. We could have an overall RB1 ceiling if Giovanni Bernard wasn't involved, but just the fact that Rojo has become such a shell of himself usage-wise is all we really need to see for the artist yeah. known and as And you bring up a really good point, like a bigger point there, like another hardest lesson in this in this podcast. <laughs> you find a person in your league that likes to talk about talk about drops, you found a good trade partner. <laughs> That's the person to go target with. Go buy those players that they think, oh, drops matter. Like drops are just not sticky. 
You know, we've just seen over time. Yes, there are players that have better hands than others. That's not what we're saying. But overall, a lot of it ends up being noise. So when you can find things like that and you hear other league mates that get hung up on things like that and talk about them all the time, then those are the types of folks to go target in trade scenarios because you know whenever things like that that crop up that aren't typically sticky but you can use that you can use it to your advantage in a negotiation because you know they're either going to be too low or too high on a certain player and i think like fournette is just you know example a example one whatever the hell you want to call it of like how much more important it is for your receiving workload to not have this mobile quarterback. I mean, you see Tom yeah, Brady just sure. go through. You watch Brady just go through his progressions, and it's like he knows before the snap that like maybe he has like one or two receivers with a chance. Within a second, he's already decided that he can't get them the ball. And there's Leonard Fournette just for an easy eight yards that you can go get 1.8 fantasy points for because our full point per reception scoring remains pretty ridiculous if we're trying to measure what happens in real life. So, Dwayne, I'm happy we spent more time on like an actual good offense there with the Buccaneers. Well, I feel kind of bad for you. Like you've had the, you've got the Texans now. You had the Bears <laughs> before that and the Lions. There's been a couple of weeks I felt things were bad, but now like it's the, you know, the cosmos, like everything is even back out. Like it's yin, uh, the yin and the yang. And like, it's, it's back to even because Ian this week has had to do the Bears and the Texans and the Lions as three teams back to back to back. Are you awake? Are you alive? I, I was wondering, man, I felt like a little off after our like first 45 <laughs> minutes on here. And it's just like, no, I think uh, I just got the real shitty teams to talk about. So thank you, uh, Dwayne. Texans at the Cardinals, Arizona. 17 and a half point favorites, game total of 47. Once again, not too much to say here, people. Brandon Cooks this year, though. Again, he's just the only guy in this offense that we can truly get behind. Wide receiver 22, wide receiver 8, wide receiver 11. Yeah, two letdowns outside the top 50. Comes back last week with the wide receiver 18 performance. So on the year, if we have a guy like Cooks, just like, honestly, like, he's not that different from Terry McLaurin at this point. I think McLaurin is the better real-life player. I'm not even trying to say that. But, hey, Cooks is someone that, you know, four teams with over 1,000 yards. I'm not trying to put him down either. But when we have this much volume, all these other concerns just really go out the window. There's just too much here for him to consistently bust. Six receivers have a target share of at least 30% this year. Cooks joins Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, DJ Moore, and Terry McLaurin. You're never even considering benching those guys. I know it's not the exact same when we have the Houston, Texas, and Davis Mills, but we need to give Cooks more of a benefit of the doubt here as long as he continues to be featured this heavily. And it's even more ridiculous with the air yard share. Tied with Jamar Chase at 51%, only two players in the league with over half of their offenses air yards so it's all there Arizona Cardinals second worst touchdown rate allowed to opposing wide receivers this year similar to the Buccaneers and the Browns I do think their pass rush helps hide some of the deficiencies in this offense and we could see that you know kind of rear its ugly head this week but it's Brandon Cooks, people. If we get 12 targets, they don't need to be that efficient for us still to get plenty out of it. So Cooks should be someone ranked inside, I think, your top 24 this week because there's not that many guys that we can put ahead of him from a pure volume standpoint. So enough on that, Dwayne. Once again, man, here's one of the best offenses in the league. Go off. Talk about whatever you want. You can talk about anyone. I'm frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah, we could. You can hear me? Okay, sorry. It was showing, it, it looked like it was showing I was still mute. My bad. Um, yeah, so as far as the Cardinals, um, 
Looking at Kyler Murray, you know, nobody needs me to tell them anything about Kyler Murray, so I'll focus just more on the backfield. I do have James Conner inside my top 10 this week. You kind of touched on him a second ago, Ian, and you mentioned, uh, you know, rather having James Conner, you know, in the role in the offense, right, that he's in than what you have Jamal Williams playing in the wrong offense, Detroit. So, James Conner, sometimes it's just a matter of you get lucky and where you land, Ian. And so, or maybe you're smart enough to know where to sign. Um, and James Conner did that. So, get the Texans this week. You get an 8.1 running back stream of schedule that's going to be third best on the slate you got a plus 39 offensive line run blocking average uh, run blocking advantage um, which is probably about sixth or seventh just eyeballing it really quickly um, but it's a situation where you know 17 and a half point favorites like this is this is a perfect setup you know for James Conner you still got Chase Edmonds could be nursing a shoulder injury um, so I just see it being a game where by the halftime, man, they're going to be ahead by so much. You could see two touchdowns for James Conner just in the second half alone. Looking at the receivers, um, really over the last couple, this is not really good, right, for the Cardinals. We have great matchups here, but we don't have a situation where, you know, they're just going to have to keep the foot to the gas. And they've shown us, you know, over the last couple of weeks that if it is a situation where they don't have to throw the ball all that much, they won't. They'll continue to run the ball and they will continue to spread the ball around. Hopkins is still the 1A in the offense. I do believe that his games are coming. Um, he gets a 7.1 on the wide receiver strength of schedule and 86.5 in the wide receiver cornerback matchup. So the matchups are really great. It could take just a couple of plays here, Ian, for Hopkins to really do things like we saw last week. You know, he ultimately had seven targets, but four of them were, were wiped away by plays that didn't count. So it looked like he only had three targets in the box score um, where he had 55, recept 55 yards, but he also had two touchdown receptions last week. So we could see something similar this week where you could have Hopkins go off for a couple of touchdowns. He's going to be in, he'll be inside my top 12 um, this week because, again, we've got a lot of teams that are on bye week. Um, I just don't know that the Cardinals are going to have to throw the ball that much, you know, going into the second half. They'll pay basically if they just don't want Kyler to be bored. They decide to throw it around a little bit. They will. Um, you know, or maybe the Texans make it a game. I just really doubt it. What about Chase Edmonds here? We got James Conner ranked that highly. How come Chase Edmonds, in your opinion, shouldn't be up there right with right there with him? Yeah, and I have Edmonds still in my top 15. It's just okay. I've, okay. What, what we saw this last week was they got out to such a lead that Chase Edmonds only played four snaps in the second half. So I think we'll have to watch the practice report. If we see Chase Edmonds come out and be full this week, then I would have more confidence and really probably pulling Connor down a little bit and pushing Chase Edmonds up. But when we look at the four-minute offense, when we look at the leading game scripts, that is really where James Connor does get more involved and he handles more of the carries once the Cardinals are into that situation. So um, that's where I just lean a little bit more to Connor in this particular game because we got a 17 and a half point favorite. Again, if he's a full participant, I'll feel better about him. And I still have him at I still have him at RB15 right now, and I've got Connor at 10. Um, but I, they could get closer together depending on what we see on the injury report. Very fair. I was just making sure we didn't have a huge drop-off going there. Man, Edmonds last week, for those that didn't catch that game, I thought he was going to get that first touchdown of the season. He shot, got shot out of a cannon into the secondary. Didn't quite have enough long speed to find his way to the end zone, but still picked up 40 yards. He's had a couple of those just huge runs this year where he makes the guy miss, just can't quite find the end zone. This, oh my gosh, this is so sad. I just uh, refreshed this. So most touches this year without a touchdown. I've looked at this every single week, and usually there's a kind of a good chunk of guys kind of close to each other at the top. We have Chase Edmonds with 79 touches and zero touchdowns. Miles Sanders at 75 and zero. 
all the way down to Salvin Ahmed at 28 touches and zero touchdowns. What the hell? There's not even a player with 30 touches and no touchdowns. And we got to go up into the 70s to get Sanders and Edmonds. Absolutely ridiculous. That just pisses me off. Sometimes I see these stats and I just get mad, man. That's all it is. Before we move on to Sunday Night Football, I just wanted to say right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. Grades and data are live for every single player who logged a snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from week six with code FANTASY. Dwayne's utilization report, my wide receiver, cornerback column, running back column, all of our rankings, all of our locked article content, strength of schedule goodness, our great power projections and cover probabilities. DFS utilization tool, DFS roster ship tool, all that can be yours and get 25% off the PFF sub. All you got to do is use code FANTASY. If you just want to support the pod, use code FANTASY. Go get that PFF sub and we will greatly appreciate you. And also NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. As we talked about with some of these spreads, bet on the Cardinals or Rams. Do yourself a, fl- a favor if you want to take advantage of this promo. So down co- download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Mint $5 deposit. $1 wager. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Set sportsbook with details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both, and every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game aka the super bowl check out the chris Collins with podcast and western southern's instagram for answers to the best questions each week submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash ask chris one more time that is westernsouthern.com slash ask chris if you're watching on youtube check out the link in the description below and finally, everybody, it's football season. You know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. Listen through hairs has never been easier. It's time for you to join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Again, 20% off and free shipping. What a deal with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Sunday night football, we got the Colts at the 49ers. San Fran sitting as four-point favorites. Game total resting at a fairly low 44. Carson Wentz. PFF single highest graded game of the season as a pure passer in week six. The highest graded game of his career, actually. Before that, we had the nice performance against the Ravens as well putting together some great performances. So shout out Carson Wentz. And really the big thing for me, man, we saw the deep ball ability, dimes to Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton downfield. To me with Wentz, even last year, like there were flashes of him. I remember that uh, Ravens game where Miles Sanders led a touchdown bounce off his hand. Like the receivers that the Eagles had last year were a complete train wreck. I mean, Travis Fulgham was like a freaking, we were loving that guy for, because he was the only guy producing. Like I'm not trying to hate here on Travis Fulgham, but the fact that he was a savior for this passing game for like a month tells you all you need to know about the guys Wentz was throwing to. So he didn't lose the ability to create some good plays. He just couldn't stop getting in the way of himself with mistakes. 
and he's fixed that this year. Only interception through six weeks was a fluky shovel pass that like Jack Doyle got tackled against the Rams before he could even have a chance at it. So great stuff. Only Kyler Murray and the Cardinals have posted a higher catchable ball rate on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield this year. So Carson Wentz, again, there's never been really a question about the talent. He can make the throws you want him to make. Shows off some really great off-script ability. He's someone that I understand like, when people say, like, oh, you were hired. How could anyone ever be higher on Carson Wentz than Dak Prescott? You must have been such an idiot. Like, Wentz has put awesome plays on on film, even outside of the 2017 MVP. No, he's not a freaking machine like Dak Prescott who knows what to do each and every play. Who is a machine like Dak Prescott, though? It's been great to see Carson Wentz get closer to becoming the guy that we saw in 2017, 2018. He's not quite there yet. It's still just a two-week sample, but it's good. Like, why would anyone want Wentz to be bad? The more good quarterbacks we have, the more fun fantasy is, and the more fun it is to watch these games in real life as well. The star of the show, though, Jonathan Taylor. You guys were upset. He started off the year PPR, RB11, comes back, RB41, RB37. Last three weeks, though, RB10, RB2, and RB3. Now, the usage still isn't great. We have Marlon Mack going out there. He's taking away his three to five carries, taking away 15 to 20% snaps. But, hey, Jonathan Taylor, if he keeps being this generational talent, quote-unquote, and just really balling out like he's, you know, a middle-class man's Derrick Henry, whatever the hell you want to call him, he will make the most out of this usage. Not the best matchup against the 49ers, but when we have someone with Taylor's home run ability, you don't need me to tell you that he's locked in as an RB1, someone that should be starting in lineups of all shapes and sizes. For now, Mac, Naeem Hines, I don't think that they're people that you can start with any sense of confidence, and even holding them at this point. Hines, I think, in d- deeper leagues, you should still probably hold on to, because if Mac gets traded, then we're back to the two running back committee but with three guys there it's just so tough and honestly even holding on to Marlon Mack hoping for a trade where could he really go where this actually works out like the Chiefs the Ravens I guess like there's a couple teams where I guess if they went out on a limb and said Marlon Mack's our guy we'd have to get behind him but just realize you're pretty much betting on a trade that hasn't happened yet and you're hoping that he goes to like three teams where otherwise he's not going to be worth any more than he is at this second Finally, Michael Pittman, nice bounce back potential here with Paris Campbell on injured reserve and T.Y. Houghton looking at least pretty iffy. I don't know why this is like seemingly getting ignored in a lot of the discussion about like, you know, his comeback around the industry because he didn't return after he got hurt. Frank Reich says not serious. The Campbell one was serious and they put him on injured reserve with Hilton. It's not IR serious, but Reich also said, like, we're going to reevaluate this in 48 hours and see what it says then. So it doesn't sound, you know, the opposite of serious to me either. Uh, Something to definitely monitor because if Hilton's there, it's one more mouth to feed that once is seemingly okay enough doing. So I still think Pittman in the spot, particularly with all the buys, you're going to have a hard time ranking, you know, more than 25, 30 receivers ahead of him. Just realize his ceiling gets a lot higher if we can take out Hilton and already Campbell. Things just are condensed that much more. Dwayne, it looks like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be under center. Trey Lance was not at practice Monday. A little bit unsure. If we have Trey, we're getting the rush attempts. I think we can probably assume it's going to be Jimmy G, though. Yeah, that's what it sounded like so far. We'll have to continue to monitor it, but we didn't have Lance back. We've also got a couple of other folks returning to practice. You've got Jermichael Hasty, So it could be a situation where we have Trey Sermon as inactive, you know, because that's really the, equa- the equation that we had <clears throat> early in the season. 
for Sermon to be inactive, we had Elijah Mitchell as the lead back. You had Jamichael Hasty really more as the scat back, the passing down back, and then you had Juszczyk out there as a fullback. So I'd also expect a decrease in the role for Juszczyk if Jamichael Hasty um, is active. I've got Elijah Mitchell at running back 17 for the week, right um, behind Damian Harris. Um, he could move up a little bit. You've got a good offensive line run blocking advantage in the game. It's a 55. That's going to be fourth or fifth best right now, um, you know, based on where we are. We'll upgrade with injuries later in the week on the site. Um, but a 1.7 overall running back strength of schedule. So it's it's kind of a mixed review as far as the matchups go for Mitchell. Not a huge over, not a huge um, implied point total, but not a bad one on the slate. You know, it's about neutral, 23.75 points implied for the 49ers against the Colts. Um, Debo Samuel is the primary folk, you know, guy you're going to talk about in the receiving game. He's got a white seat, dog bark, Debo Samuel. Samuel, fire him up. Debo Samuel week. Let's go. <laughs> 60.6 uh, wide receiver cornerback matchup, above average wide receiver strength of schedule, and just a player that's generally getting everything funneled to him. And we're going to be without um, George Kittle again this week. We know that Brandon Ayuk Brandon has not been out there for his usual complement of snaps. That's something we can obviously be monitoring coming out of the bye. You know, does Ayuk finally climb out of the doghouse? Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. But Samuel is a player that I've got inside my top 12. I've got him as my wide receiver. 11 right now on the week Ian. finally everyone monday night football saints at seahawks new orleans up to five point favorites open at three and a half game total again at 44 not great but compared to some other games not terrible either it's alvin kamara that's pretty much it in this offense so why not end with the freaking saints for me Dwayne? i couldn't have run any more cold with these offenses i get to talk about so alvin kamara you know it's Dwayne's got henderson ranked too i don't necessarily disagree with that but alvin kamara you'd be hard pressed to name you know if you really wanted to use two hands to rank the amount of running backs you want to play over kamara i think you're just kind of being a dick about it because despite the targets not quite being there he did get eight last week they've had a bye week to get this around and it's not so much like it's honestly more like the DeAndre Hopkins type thing, man. Like, it's not even as much that Kamara has been displaced. More than anything, it's like just been a volume issue because Jameis, for the first time in week five, threw the ball more than even 23 times per game. So that's why it's so hard to get behind Callaway, to get behind Deontay Harris if he's going to be okay from this hamstring. Troutman, you know, Jawan, all these guys. When there's only 23 passes to go around, you just can't go into the game saying, hey, Jameis is going to throw four or five touchdowns on these. I understand he's pulled that off, but if you're going to be trying to predict that on a week to week basis, you're going to be a losing man soon rather than later so it's only Kamara we can feel good about hopefully the targets do take a turn for the better and again it's not as horrendous as maybe we made it out to be to start the eight targets did help last time around first five weeks of 2017 first five weeks of 2019 he had 31 targets in those years this year he's at 22 in that stretch so just nine removed and hey would we be that shocked if we start seeing him rip off double-digit target games? I don't think so. So Alvin Kamara, at a minimum, we're getting all the rush attempts to make up for it anyway. So we've talked about him being someone to sell high on. We're talking selling high as like a top three RB. Someone's going to trade you like Devontae Adams type of high here. You're perfectly content to have Kamara still holding down that RB1 spot more weeks than not, particularly against the Seahawks defense that is fourth worst in PPR points per game allowed to running backs. Dwayne, actually, yeah, I was complaining about the Saints. You, you got the, you got the burden here. What the hell is going on with Seattle, man? <laughs> yeah, man, Geno Smith. Um, it's just, it's, it's not, you know, a good equation. You know, we, we're, we're not going to have the 300 yard passing games every single week on minimal volume. You know, so they're going. 
the Seahawks are going to have to change something, right, around their equation if they think they're going to make this work with Geno Smith. But I think they just want to try, you know, to protect him. So um, given all of that, you know, looking at the backfield, you know, they, they're trying to use the backs. They're trying to keep the running game going. So Alex Collins was injured late in the game. You know, we don't know how bad it's going to be. He's got a hip issue issue, <clears throat> and a glute issue. He could play. Um, he may not. But you are getting Rashad Penny coming back, and he's evidently, you know, quote-unquote, raring to go. Um, so he's he's ready to get out there. So it could just be a complete committee. Um, for now, I'm assuming Alex Collins is going to play. I do have him in my top 30 in my rankings, but I'll probably be adjusting that. Um, even if he's just questionable throughout the week and like more, even if he hadn't a game time decision, but he's just limited and they're like, he's going to play. I'm going to assume that it's really going to be he and Penny carrying more, splitting more of the work on the early downs. And then you'll probably have DJ Dallas working in there on the passing downs and maybe Travis Homer uh, because he plays some special teams as well. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on who's active. Just note though, Rashad Penny in the past, we have seen um, historically, at, we've seen points where he actually has served as the receiving back for the Seahawks. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch because if Penny does manage to carve out some of that role, but then also a sharing time, you know, in, in the early down role, that could really make him the back to really want to target for as long as Chris Carson's going to be out, which, which right now I think is anyone's guess, right? Chris Carson, is he going to be back in three weeks? Is he going to be back, you know, next year? We don't know right now. It's just a complete guess. Um, as far as the receivers go, man, it's it, it really does hurt them, but it's hard, Ian, to go too far down on the players just because, again, we've got a slate um, where we've got a, a lot of different really good receivers, you know, that are missing. When you look at taking, you know, two really good receivers from Dallas, pulling them out of the slate, two good receivers from Minnesota, pulling them out of the slate, the Buffalo receivers are out of the slate, the Charger receivers, that's two good receivers. And then even the Steelers, you got Deontay Johnson. And, and if Claypool were to be healthy, you know, that's another two top players that would be typically in our top 30. So, I mean, you're looking at a lot of receivers that are off the board. So I've got Metcalf right now sitting on the cusp of my top 12. Um, and I think it's hard to not put Metcalf in, in there, even with Geno Smith playing quarterback. I'm a little lower, though, on Ky on Tyler Lockett. Um, I've got him down at 19th overall right now, which isn't terrible. And the matchup is not bad, you know, for um, DK and for, you know, Tyler Lockett. You know, DK's got a 75.0 wide receiver cornerback matchup this week. That's going to be in the top 10. You look at Tyler Lockett, he's got a 64.8. That'll be in the top 15. Um, so I think there's still viable plays. It's just, man, there's just not the top. There's not the ceiling that we knew at any moment Russ could come up with that 400 yard passing game and throw five touchdowns. We know that's really out of the equation, you know, unless it's just a complete fluke right now with Geno Smith. So we're going to depend. We need more volume. We need more receptions. We need more targets and the offense isn't giving it to us. So now we're trying to thread this efficiency needle. that's always worked with Russ with less volume with less efficiency from a lesser quarterback. And it just, it scares me. And you're just basically, you're just betting on the talent. You're saying, look, DK Metcalf is too, is too good to not put in my top 12. Tyler Lockett is too good to not put in my top 24. Um, but the quarterback situation really does hurt. I can't believe Lockett is pulling this shit again. Week one, four catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Week two, eight catches, 178 yards, and a touchdown since then. Four straight performances, under 60, and scoreless. I know Russ isn't there, and that's obviously making a tremendous impact. It's just uh, frustrating. You know, we back up Lockett, rank him high. You just want some semblance of consistency, not quite getting there. Only thing I'll add, yeah, DK Metcalf, you just got to ride with it. And I, I'm a big proponent of you don't let individual cornerback matchups, perceived tough shadow dates, like cause you to bench someone. 
Marshawn Lattimore, if he gets out of this matchup, primetime Monday night, you know, we saw Jair Alexander really make that leap into like the upper echelon of cornerbacks last year. I think Lattimore is close. Saints paid him a ton of money when people were kind of, I think, wondering, is he really worth it? So far this year, Dwayne, he's only shadowed twice. Week one against Devontae Adams. Five catches, 56 scoreless yards. And he took Terry McLaurin in week five, four catches, 46 scoreless yards. I'm just saying, man, if we can get a graphic out there that shows McLaurin, Devontae, and Metcalf getting locked up by Marshawn Lattimore. He's going you know, to need to renegotiate his contract already. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. It's, it's been interesting, man. Like, you know, you, you've watched every Cowboys game for decades. Like, I, I'm, you probably remember him really getting a better of Amari Cooper a couple years yeah. ago. Like, I know. Oh, dude, I know I, his, his, Mike, his Mike Evans matchups are what, like, you know, really, like, put him on the map with me. Like, I know. And it yeah. wasn't just because of the fighting. Like, those guys are hyper competitive with one another. Um, but, yeah, and just, just an ability. He, he's shown in the past. To, to have the ability to really get inside, you know, the opposing receiver's head and shut down some of the better uh, wide receivers in the league. And yeah, look, you're right. Like the matchups, a lot of it can end up just being noise, um, which is a cool thing why I like the way we do the tool now, which is more based off of, look, we know you're not just going to be shadowed by this one player. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think you put it best. Like in, in podcasts previously, you talk about the tiebreakers. Like if it comes down to a tiebreaker um, and it's more of a tiebreaker in a DFS scenario, if you're playing season long, you're starting DK Metcalf, right? Um, you know, in DFS, it's one of those things where if all of a sudden everybody gets afraid of the cornerback matchup and you all of a sudden see, you know, DK is going to be lowly rostered, well, then that makes you actually want to use him. That's not going to be the scenario here because that's going to be a, you know, that's going to be a Sunday night game. So, you know, you see DK in pretty much every lineup, you know, whenever you're playing the Sunday night, you know, slate. But yeah, I think it's a good point with Lattimore. He has played really well. And, yeah, he got beat in the past. You know who else got beat in the past? Jair Alexander, Carlton Davis. All of your top shadow cornerbacks go through some bad games because they're being asked to travel with the number one receiver on the other side. So if Lattimore does get toasted for 100-plus yards and a touchdown, just take it easy before sending your garbage can just because a lot of lesser cornerbacks aren't being asked to have that sort of responsibility in the first place. Dwayne, we have reached the conclusion of this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. You are going to Nashville this weekend, my friend. The people are not going to be hearing from you until our waiver pod next Tuesday. Anything you want to say? It's going to be a while, man. No, man. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. We're thinking about going. Um, so maybe we will end up at the game and we will see. We will Ooh. be there um, and available for that at that moment, like to see Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see a concert on um, Friday night. We're going to see a guy named Jason Isbell. So we're really excited about it. My wife loves Nashville. We're going with a couple of friends. So, yeah, you guys, all I'll say is good luck. Um, hope everybody smashes this weekend. Love it. Have a great time, Dwayne. I hope the missus does as well. Nashville, I just went the first time a couple in August before the season started. Lovely city. And yeah, man, go, yeah, go it's check great, out that man. game. We what, love what, it. What's the worst that could happen? For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>